How we doing, Eastside? Everybody doing good, huh? All right, man, thanks for being here. It is awesome to have you in the house today. There is few things, man, few things that's better than living in the greatest country on the planet as an American. Man, that is good stuff. Give it, and what is even better than that is being a Christian in America. And we get to celebrate that. And so shout out uh, to the men and the women uh, who stood the test, man. They paid the price. They did what they had to do so you and I could be in this room right now. Let's don't ever, ever forget that. So thanks for being here on a holiday weekend. A uh, shout out to our guest in the room. Uh, we're thrilled to have you. And so when we're done, uh, we're going to invite you out to a little place called Guest Point. And if you're one of our guests today, we'd, we'd like to give you a gift and share something with you. Just our way of saying thanks. And for our guest online, uh, there's a, vigital, a digital uh, connect card. Jump on that. Take care of that. We will send you stuff, okay? Just like Amazon, man. And right to your door. And thank you for worshiping with us. But it's great to have you here. Now, I got something real important I want to talk to you uh, briefly about before I uh, teach tonight. And that is um, our virtual Bible studies. We're going to find out, and you can mark this down, okay? We're going to find out a few months down the road, a few years down the road, that there were good things that came from COVID. We're going to learn that as a human race. The Bible promises that God said, in all things, so if I, if I interpret all things literally, in all things, that means COVID is a thing, okay? A pandemic is a thing. In all things, God can bring good to those who love him. That's what the Bible promises in Romans 8, 28. So we're, we're gonna start seeing things that we're gonna say, you know, that's a good thing, and that came from COVID. One of those things here at Eastside, I don't think we would have known this for a long time. I don't, I don't know that we would have had the impetus to maybe to get busy about it, is we have learned that we can put virtual teaching out on the internet and gobs of people can come and watch it all over the place. And we've learned that here. And so we started kind of a new ministry a few weeks ago called Virtual Bible Studies. And we did a, a section of material on the book of Revelation, the first section of seven sections. And we had, we had a little bit over 200 people joining us every Tuesday night. That was awesome. I think that's good, but I think we can do better about that. The strength of a church, hear me, the strength of a church is when her people are grounded in the Word of God, okay? Y'all yeah, didn't hear me. I got to say that again, okay? The strength of a church is when her people are grounded in the Word of God. Okay. <laughs> About three more people heard me, okay? That's where the strength of a church is. And so we did pretty good with that. We're going to kick another one off this coming Tuesday. And Winston is going to be teaching through the book of James. And that's going to take six, seven weeks. And then I'll come back and do the second section of Revelation again. So I just want you to put it in your schedule, get busy about it. Um, I'm going to make sure everybody knows exactly how you can get it. 
So at 7 o'clock on Tuesdays, starting next week, we'll begin it again. So at 7 o'clock, we post it on our Facebook page. You just get on Facebook, Hunt for Discovery Eastside, and our YouTube page, Eastside Online. You just get on those, those platforms, and starting at 7 o'clock, it's there. And it's going to stay there. I encourage everybody to come on Tuesdays, okay? Anytime on Tuesday, all right? Some of you might need to do it 11 o'clock at night, whenever, Tuesday night, whenever. Come on Tuesday night and, and do that study with us. But it stays on forever. You may not be able to get to it until Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or something like that. But I want us to get busy about that again starting next Tuesday. We're learning of the power of that. And uh, good, good things are going to come of that. Okay. So... Uh, so we started this thing last week um, where, where we said for the rest of the summer through July that what we're going to do here is we're going to go through a study of the book of Philippians. And so if you weren't here last week, you're not too late, you're, you're kind of on the front end of it. And I want to take a few weeks and I want to walk through this book, this little tiny book in the New Testament, and we're going to call our study Summer Joyride. And the reason they were calling it Summer Joyride is because this little four-chapter book, it's got 103 verses in it, just a little book in your Bible, it is chock full of joy and gladness and happiness. About every six verses, he has something to say about this spirit of, of, of feeling good and living good and happy and joy in your bones. The book of Philippians is all about that. And so what I, what I introduced last week is I said, let's just take a few weeks here. We've been dealing with some heavy stuff here at Eastside. Let's just kind of calm down and let's make our way through this letter so that we can all learn a little bit more how to be happy, to put a smile on your face, to experience a, a skip in your step, a little bit of joy in your soul. I think we all need that once in a while. Some of y'all look like you need some help with that. And so we're going to go through the book of Philippians, and we're going to bring that up. Now here, I want you to think of this uh, today. This weekend, I want you to think of this. I want you to think about a time in your life. Maybe it happened just briefly. Maybe it was a season for you. I want you to think about a time in your life where you felt so good and you were so happy and the smile was so big that you were hoping that moment would never, ever end for you. I just want you to think about a time where that happened. I'm talking dopamine rushing through all your veins and endorphins leaking out your pores, man. I'm talking about I don't ever want this moment to stop. Maybe you're laying on a beach somewhere, okay? Close your eyes and think about that. Maybe you're watching your family open Christmas presents. Maybe you're cheering your favorite team on in the championship game. Maybe you're walking across that stage for graduation. Maybe you're hearing your doctor use the word cure. Maybe you're taking your preacher out to lunch. I'm talking big stuff here, okay? I want you to think about when did you ever have a time where you just said, man, that feels so good. A few weeks ago, I had a chance to pick up my grandson from school one day. He's a proud kindergartner graduate now. And I picked him up one day, and I looked through his stuff when he got in our car, and I noticed his teacher had written a note 
about some bad stuff that he got into that day. He had a bad note. And I'm reading it because I know I got to tell his mom and dad about the bad note. And I look at it and his teacher said, he just fell on the floor and he was rolling all over the floor laughing hysterically and he wouldn't stop. And so she wrote a bad note about it. I said, dude, why would you do that? And I'm going to quote his words, five-year-old, because my friend Ryder was making farting noises. <laughs> and I said, don't worry about that. I would have fell there laughing too, okay? I don't know if you can use that word in a sermon, but I think I just did, okay? I mean, think about, think about a time in your life where that was going on, man, you just laughed and life was good. That's what I want to talk about. I want to dive into the book of Philippians because we found out last week, we're going to find out every week, is that when, when, when this book was written, man, they knew about that. They knew how to make that happen in your life. Now, before we jump into it for the second week, we got to talk, though, about the elephant in the room. Because some of y'all, and I've been where some of y'all have been and are at, some of you right now are getting pretty sarcastic in your spirit. And you're saying, go ahead and have your little happy talk, Hastings, go ahead. But dude, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know my business. And if you're wearing the shoes that I'm wearing, you know that there are times when joy and gladness and happiness are impossible. I'm doing good to get out of bed in the morning, much less smile about it. And see, we can come in here and we can be all phony about this and, and, and be kind of goofy about it and say we're going to talk about happiness and gladness and smiling and all that good stuff. And everybody kind of chuckle about it. And then there, uh, there are those of us flattered throughout the room and, and we've, we've all been there. We say, dude, I'm in the wrong place because that ain't going to happen with me. Well, if you've ever been there, and I imagine probably a lot of us have, I, I, wanna, I wanna remind you who wrote the book of Philippians. And I talked about this briefly last week. I wanna mention it to you again so we get on the same page. But if you're thinking right now, kinda, kinda you know, that, this, 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 this joy stuff isn't gonna go on with what I got going on right now, then, then I want you to remember who wrote this book in your Bible? Now, we said this about his life last week, the Apostle Paul, and we just kind of covered that. I won't get into it again, but you can kind of understand his life by breaking it into these four sections. He became a Christian at about 30, and then for about 12 years, he preached around home in Israel, all around that area. Then in the middle 12 years here, he took these three trips visited 50 cities, walked about 10,000 miles, started all kinds of churches, and then the last 12 years of his life was back home and eventually in Rome, and this last 12 years was a rough, rough time for him. And he got persecuted, got beat up, 
had some horrible, horrible things go on with him. And during this period of time right here and the second half of that time, in other words, about the last four, five, six, seven years of his life before they killed him, he wrote this book. In fact, what we know is that when he was in Rome, he went through two imprisonments. Two times they threw him in prison. Let me, let me, let me show you those real quick here. Let's look at the imprisonments. I want, I want to talk about the second one because this is where his, his life ended right here. It was a cold, nasty dungeon, no lights, no windows, no nothing, chained to the wall. There's indications he was probably chained to other prisoners. It was a secret prisoner. When, when his friends came into Rome to visit him, they came out and said, we, we couldn't find him. They were hiding Paul. We know that he went without food. He was beaten often. He was under the assumption that this would eventually lead to his death, of which it did. This was death row. That the last few years of Paul's life, he wrote from death row. Now, before that, he was in prison at another time in Rome. That was his first in prison, and it was house arrest. It wasn't anything like this. He had his own house. He could rent it. He had some, some guard there guarding him so that he couldn't leave. And, and his friends could come visit him. He was just kind of there because they were trying to figure out, what are we going to do with this guy who is preaching about Jesus and it gets all the Jews in riots? And that's why they threw him in prison. Now watch this real carefully. Paul knew right here that it could lead to this. He said, they, they're going to figure out what to do with me, and there's a big chance that it's going to go to this. And if it goes to this, dude, the game's over. He, he knew all that right here. Now watch. And he sat down in the middle of that, and he wrote the book of Philippians. Now, everybody just take a pause there for a second and let it get heavy with you for a minute. And let me, let me ask you this question. Who in their right mind at all in the middle of an imprisonment that may lead to death row writes anything about joy? I wouldn't be writing about that. I'd be writing about how horrible things were and how this is going to lead to that. I'd be writing this, this letter begging for people to come and help me. And instead, Paul sat down and he wrote a letter about how to be happy, watch, when your circumstances are everything but happy. And, and so I think about that and realize that the book of Philippians was not just written to people who are on the top of the mountain and life is going great for you right now. No, it's written for people who are down at the bottom of the mountain making fun of the people who are living life well because they're getting the tar beat of them down. That's who it's written to. And so if you walk into this room whether last week or this weekend or next weekend and you come in here and you say, man, we're talking about happiness and I cannot be happy because of what I'm going through. Listen, the book has your name on it. How in the world do you experience joy on death row? 
How do you experience joy when your marriage is falling apart? Or you're in a depression that you can't crawl out of? Or your teenager is hooked on heroin? Or you're in the middle of chemotherapy? Or you've got more bills than you have money? Or you're in the grip of grief that just won't loosen its grip, or you're at a job that you hate, or you're turning certifiably crazy running a taxi cab service for your kids, baseball game, soccer game, dance recital, school events, church, have I covered just about everything I can think of, okay? How do you get happy in all of that? And I have to believe, and I'm a pastor because I know this to be true, that whenever we get together as the church, there are multiple of us who you're right there. I know many of you personally, and I won't call you out, but I, when I look at your face right now, I'm saying, dude, you're, you're there. We're talking about you. And those of us on the mountain probably remember, man, I was in the valley too. I, I know about that. And so how, how can you be happy then? Well, somehow, this Paul guy figured it out. And he began to express right out of the gate in this little book, four chapters. Right in the first chapter, he started talking about joy in the midst of trials and struggles and horrible circumstances of life. So I want to read it for you, and I just kind of want to bring out a few things that he talks about today, hopefully, for those of us who are kind of struggling along in the mud, you might hear a thing or two today that may make the world of difference for you. So let me read bits and pieces of the first chapter. I'm gonna start with the 12th verse. I just wanna read verse 12. It's kind of almost like the title of a chapter. And then I wanna read some verses that he read. So Philippians chapter one, verse 12. I'll have it up here on the screen so you can follow along while I read it there. Verse 12 says, now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, now stop right there, you and I know what's happened to him. I just told the story. He's in prison. This is gonna lead to some really bad stuff. And I want you to know that what has happened to me has really ser served to advance the gospel. It's been a good thing. And then he begins to explain that, and I want to jump down to the 21st verse. I'm going to read four, five, six verses that kind of talk about that. He said, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the, the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And so convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and your joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Now, what is all that about, Dave? Well, part of my job as a preacher, hopefully, is to take sections of Scripture and kind of break into them and be able to maybe, maybe make some sense of them in a few minutes with a, a gathered crowd here. So let me tell you what I see in this Scripture as I studied it. It seems to me 
that the reason Paul could talk about joy and be all caught up in that while he's going through what he's going is there were a couple of understandings. I don't even know what to call them other than things that he just knew. And, and those things were deep, deep down into his soul. And, and they became the, the, the driving force of why you can be joyous when life is not treating you very well. And those understandings were the things that drove him about joy. And when I break into it, those things just keep coming up. And so what I want to do is I want to show you a couple of those things that just, I mean, they were in him. And I'm, I'm going to challenge you to make sure that they are in you. And, and if you're at a, you're at a position at this moment. I want you to feel bad about this because I've been there in that position where life just isn't going great, man, and I feel terrible, and everybody's saying, man, you ought to be happy as a Christian. And I say, I am not happy as a Christian. That if, if that's going on with you, it's because one of these things is not seated in you. And, it, and if it can get down in you and mess with you and, and become who you are so that those things drive you and not your circumstances, that's when you'll find that happiness and joy and gladness really can exist in the midst of difficult times of life. So let me show them to you real quick. Here's, here's one of them that I see with, with Paul. I see it over and over, is that joy, he knew this, that it would happen by, watch this, learning to point to Jesus during the trial. So when things are rough, that during that period of your life, that your focus of life, the things you talk about, the things you think about, the things you're communicating with other people about, in the middle of that, watch this, you're talking more about Jesus than you are about your circumstance. And so when you break into the text that I just read, you find that he just keeps doing that. In fact, he hardly says anything in there about his circumstance. He just kind of mentions it. We kind of know from other biblical material that he's in prison, but he didn't give a lot of focus on that. He's saying, dude, I just can't stop talking about Jesus. That's what he said. We don't see him complaining to the guards. We don't see him going over to the guards saying, "Won't you guys let me out of here, man? You know this is not fair. You know I didn't do anything wrong." He didn't say anything. What did he do? He talked to the guards about Jesus. We don't see him strategizing with his friends. When his friends came to the rented house, he didn't say, "Man, you guys got to get together, man. You got to get a bunch of people here. You got to get me out of here." We don't see any of that. We see him talking to his friends about Jesus. In fact, he said, I'm talking to my friends so much about Jesus that when they leave, guess what? They start talking about Jesus. Say, Paul, man, you're in prison, dude. They're going to put you to death, dude. And he said, I just, I just talk about Jesus. He said this. This is a beautiful thing in Scripture. You probably heard this phrase before. I'm going to make it come alive to you today. He used this phrase. Check it out. He said, to me, he said, now to me, I don't know about y'all, but to me, life is Christ. Now just look at that for a second. And so what we got here is this word is in the middle, which, which serves to be kind of the verb, and what it is is a connecting word. It takes life 
and Christ. And it says, for some people, those are the same thing, okay? Everything about your life is about Jesus. Everything in your life is about Jesus. So we read that and we say, okay, that makes sense. For Paul, life is Christ. But watch this. The Greeks had this little thing they did when they wrote. And, and it was their way of kind of overemphasizing, almost exaggerating a point. They could take two subjects like life and Christ, and they're trying to say they're the same thing, life is Christ. And they wanted to say, man, I can't tell you how much these two things are together. And so what they would do is they would take the word is out of it, and it would say life Christ. It's very important. You and I'd write, life is Christ. All about my life, man, it's about Jesus. And Paul would say, no, it's more than that. And Paul took the word is out. It's not in the original language that he wrote. Paul wrote, now to me, I don't know about y'all around here in southern Indiana and Kentucky, but I don't know about y'all, but for me, life, Christ. And this is the dude in prison. You would think he'd say, man, how can I get out of here? This is not right. He didn't say any of that. He just kept talking about Jesus. It seems that he tried to act like Jesus would act if he were in prison. I don't know if you paid too much attention to it, and I'm going to pass it up a little bit because of time uh, this weekend. But at the end, when he started talking about joy and joy and joy, he started talking about your joy, Philippians. Your joy, Eastside. If I'm in prison, I'm writing a letter. I'm not really too concerned about your joy. I'm concerned about me getting some joy. He said, man, I'm going to act like Jesus. Everything in the first chapter comes down to this one little thing. And that is Paul knew this. It was seated in him. Watch this. You'll miss the whole point. That when life gets hard, if I focus on how hard life is, you know what's going to happen to me? I'm going to feel be down. But when life gets hard, if I can continue to make the focus of my life Jesus, that I'm connected to Jesus, I talk to Jesus, I talk to other people about Jesus, I think about Jesus, that I make sure that my life is Christ, without the is, what happens is that joy occurs even though you feel beat down. And if you're a Christian and you know all this stuff and you're wondering, why can't I get, I get out of this pit? Why do I feel like I'm going through thick mud? Why am I always, because you're focused on your issue instead of being focused on Jesus. And that doesn't mean that you ignore your, your issue. It doesn't mean that you put a blind eye to it. It doesn't mean that you don't try to make things better. It just means that's not the thing that you're focused on. And so you find yourself waking up every day and, oh, man, life's so rough. I got to go work for that guy right there. I'm tired of that guy. Oh, no, this is, is that where you're at? Then it's no wonder joy doesn't happen. But is your focus on Jesus? This last week, we had a little 90th birthday party for my mother-in-law, and uh, some of y'all know that, who are our friends and our life group and stuff, and, and uh, man, it almost didn't happen. 
it was close to not happening. Susan, I've been pretty open with you about this part of our life journey right now. And um, if I'm being honest with you and say, hey, man, really what's going on in our preacher's life? This is what's going on in your preacher's life right now. Uh, she's our last parent. Uh, she is stuck in the world of dementia. And I know some of y'all have dealt with that. And, man, it is so, it is so sad to see somebody go through that. But she got pretty sick about a week or so ago, and she kind of goes through these things, and they took her to the hospital, and things started turning out really bad and really quick just a few days ago. And so my wife rushed up to Illinois. She was with her sister and a brother, and, and they took her to the hospital and found out what was wrong with her and trying to get her to come back. And I mean, numbers were tanking, and by the hour, it was getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And um, I was here, had to, had to preach last week, couldn't get up there until that was over, and I just, I just really thought, we're, we're not going to make no 90th birthday. And one of their doctors came in and said, I mean, it was almost miraculous. He said, let's try a different kind of antibiotic. And so they tried a different antibiotic, and I mean, it was like she, she just popped right out of it. And she got better and stronger, and she was kind of over it, and they took her back to the memory care facility, and the party was on. I, I showed up and walked into her room, and this is a lady who's been in the hospital. She's worn out. She's had dementia in the thick of it for so long. And I walked in, she turned over, and she goes, why, Dave? Hi, Dave. And I just kind of smiled and laughed, and Susan was in shock. What is going on? I said, I'm going on. That's what's going on. And we've learned through the part of that whole deal that there's a few things that, that kind of shock her out of her dementia world. And if you've ever been there, I mean, just sad. Uh, you don't know what they're thinking, and sometimes they're staring off into space. And, you just don't, and, and we have learned that there's some things that just kind of, it brings her out. And she smiles and communicates. And one of those is me, okay? It's me. And so uh, I need y'all to tell my wife about that, okay? And so we'll, we'll be FaceTiming and not getting anything there, and Susan will put the phone by me, and she's bright and happy. And so I told people, when your 90-year-old mother-in-law with dementia thinks you're hot, you got something going on, okay? So, so I'm one of those things that she cheers up to. Little kids is another. If we keep grandkids around her, man, she's just alert and happy and into it. Let me tell you number three. When we sing old songs about Jesus, she doesn't know where her foot is but she knows every word to in the garden and when the roll is called up yonder and great is thy faithfulness. Her memory engages when Jesus is the subject. The apostle Paul sat at a kitchen table in a rented house with a big guard making sure he doesn't escape and Paul wrote on a piece of paper and I'm summarizing it in my own words, you don't have to wait until the end of your life to be able to figure this little secret out. Figure it out now 
before you're in a home, figure it out now, before the end of your life, figure it out now when you got a chance to do something about it. What do you want me to figure out? This is it. Check it out. Joy can be restored when the focus is transferred from your suffering to your Savior. Are you hearing that? So if you're, you're dealing with us today and you're, you're thinking, Dave, I want to do that. I, I want that, man. And I just don't know how to do it. I just, I'm just asking you, where has your sights been in the last few days? Has it been on your suffering or your Savior? Because wherever you put your focus is what you get. And Paul knew that. And so in the first letter... While he's sitting in prison, talking about happiness and joy and how to get it, he said this. Now, if life stinks for you right now, quit looking at the pile of stink and start looking at the one who can pull you out of that. That'll make a difference. That seems to be one thing that I see seeded into his life, and that was this idea of this, this understanding within his spirit of Pointing to Jesus, always pointing to Jesus during the trial. Let me show you the second one that comes up that, that just kind of stands really big toward the end of it, and that is joy happens by being with Jesus after the trial. And what we're talking about there is that Paul said, if, if the bad stuff never goes away, I still know the end of the story. And so right after he said, now to me, I don't know about y'all, but to me, life, Christ. And if you're a Bible person, you know what he said next. The same phrase, put it up there. Death is gain. Life is Christ. Really, life Christ is what he wrote. And then he said, and death is gain. And that's not really what he said. Here's what he said. Death gain. The death and something better, something way better. Those are the same. Well, how in the world can you say that? Who, with an ounce of sense to him, would ever say death is gain? Well, Paul said, I'm glad you asked that because he then went on to explain it. And he said this. Let's just be serious about it. He answered it a few verses later by saying, if all this ends up with my execution, I'm good with it. If they throw me in the death chamber and I end up dying, I'm okay with that because I'll be with Christ. And he said this, it is better by far. It is better by far. And so he knew that was waiting for him. He knew that was at the end of the day. Every day in heaven is better by far than the best day that you've ever had on this earth. So just think about that for a second. What was your best day you've ever had on this earth? What is the best day you've ever seen? Was it the day you got married? Was it the birth of your kids? Was it your best vacation ever? What was your best day ever? Here's heaven. Heaven is better by far every day forever. And Paul said, now I know that's going on. So because of it, my circumstances are not going to drag me down because I know what the end of the road's going to be. And because I keep my sights on the end of the road, then nothing's going to be able to drag me down. 
Now, let's talk about that. Let's say, and I don't want to bum you out anything, let's say, let's just be real about this, and let's say your circumstances that are rough for you, or maybe you're out of it now and you remember a year ago, when it, whenever, let's say that they are not going to change. I told one of my friends recently, we were talking about some stuff in his life, and I looked at him, I said, dude, I've got to be a truth teller to you. That is never changing. And you will die like that. That is never going to change for the rest of your life. So how, how can you prevent something like that from dragging you down? Well, you realize that at the end of that, I know where I'm going to be. And because I know where I'm going to be, then I can exhibit joy and happiness about that. My preacher is Alistair Begg. He's my preacher. Has anybody ever listened to uh, Brother Alistair on the radio? Okay. He's my preacher. He don't know it, but he's my preacher, okay? And uh, he's one of my favorite teachers of the Word of God. I make sure that I listen to some of his stuff two, three times every week. Alistair and Winston are my two preachers. They really are. And so I, all preachers have preachers. I don't know if you know that, but I have preachers. And I listen to Alistair Begg, and I listen to Winston Dickerson. And I try, those two guys are the ones that encourage me and teach me things about the Word. And uh, Alistair Begg said something recently that I almost got in a wreck on on 65. Okay, I almost crashed over that because I'd never thought of it this way. And it excited me so much, I just wanted to rapture right through the moonroof and go get it. He said this. He talked about the game of chess. Now, I'm not a chess player, okay? You hear Alistair Begg speak, and he sounds like the champion of the universe when it comes to chess, doesn't it? Just his voice. And he said this. I don't know anything about chess, but I understand this. That if your opponent looks at you and they say, checkmate, what that means is you lost. And the, the outcome, the end of the game is settled. It cannot be changed, you lost. But watch this, the game's not over. Because you can still make some moves. But no matter what you do, no matter what move you ever do, it does not and cannot change the outcome. Checkmate, you lost. Now, Alistair Biggs said this. This one about wrecked. He said, when Jesus got off the cross, it carried him into a tomb, and three days later, he came out of the tomb. He looked at Satan and said, checkmate. It's over. It's over. It's over. Now, I've always known it's over. You've known it's over. He said, it's over. Checkmate. But watch this. Satan can still make some moves. He can still mess with you a little bit. Has he messed with anybody today? Huh? Yeah. He's going to still mess with your life. Remember what we said last week? He wants to steal and kill and destroy. He's still going to do all these little moves in our life. He's still going to do that. But none of those change the outcome. You won. And you will reside with the Father when he comes to get you. And every single day will be better than your best day you ever had here. I told my sweet wife the other day, I said, baby, 
never dreamed in a million years. I think we're getting, we're becoming professionals at um, taking care of Alzheimer's people. And that's something you don't want to be a pro at. We, we did that with my daddy for a while. Now we're doing it with my mother-in-law. I remember when my, my dad had in the thick of it and we were going to bring him here. And he was going to live somewhere in the metro area here with us. And so we sold his house, and we sold it too early. It sold the next day. Um, and so we didn't have any place to put him. We didn't have anything settled here yet. And so my dad worked at a veterans administration hospital his whole life. He was an electrician there. He was a veteran also. And so I went to the veterans hospital. And I went to the, the big office, you know, the big wigs there and everything, and I, I told him my situation. My dad, a veteran of the Korean War, worked at this hospital's electrician for 40 years, has dementia, and I got to have a place for him to stay for two, three weeks. Can he stay here? And the guy stood up and said, you bet he can stay here. You bet he can stay here. I'll tell you what, the minute we stopped taking care of our veterans, we've lost our soul, okay? So I was, I was just so proud about that, that they were gonna take care of my dad. So I got my dad and we, we go to where he worked his whole life. He knows this place better than anybody. And we went to the memory care unit. I'll never forget it. Man, some of y'all been there. Some of my friends are dealing with that right now. Will you drop a parent off? It is, oh, it is horrible, horrible. And we take him in there, and, and he knows this place. He doesn't realize that he's where he always worked his whole life. I mean, he probably ran all the wires. He probably fixed all the ballast. We take him in his room, and he looked at a light socket, a receptacle, and he said, that receptacle probably needs to be moved over there. That's what he said, the first thing in there. I said, well, Dad, you put it there. And he said, that probably needs to be moved. He had no idea. And so we put him there, and I, I left, and I said, Dad, I promise you that I will come back to get you and I'll take you where I live. And so it took us about two, three weeks to get everything lined up here. And I drove back up in Illinois, and I went to the Veterans Hospital, and I walked back to the Memory Care Center, and I opened the door to get in, and when I opened the door, I looked down, and his suitcase was right there. It was right by the door. And it had everything in it, it was all packed. And I looked over and he saw me, he got a big old smile and he started shuffling over to me. And I said, Dad, you got your, your bag all packed today? And there was a nurse standing there watching the whole thing and she said, Mr. Hastings, she told me, Mr. Hastings, your dad has packed his bag and put it there every day he's been here just in case today is the day. That's what it's like to live knowing what's coming. And if you can ground that into your soul, you will have a reason to smile when the world's beating you up. Father, I thank you for the hope of heaven. And I thank you even just as much that the presence of your son Jesus, we don't have to wait till heaven. That he's here right now. 
And the more I put my eyes on him today, the more I get through the mud, the more I get through all the stuff until the day when I find out what checkmate means. And I don't know who in our family here needed to hear some of these things today. I think there's probably a few of us. And I pray we get in our cars, we drive home with our heads down in bed tonight. And we will be overcome with the reality that even we can be happy. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.